Hey guys, what's going on? It's Brennan Sweeney from Coach's Cradle Podcast. Today we have on Colin Masterson. Colin Masterson is a former Division I athlete, and he also spent some time at the University of Maryland and Villanova as a strength coach. So he's got a lot of great college experience with lacrosse for Villanova, for football, and everything. So he's seen everything under the sun. He's kind of tunneled his visions towards lacrosse now and definitely does his part in the private sector with with lacrosse and for other sports as well in the philadelphia area he's a great resource for educating coaches and athletes and i think he's just a great overall well-rounded person to talk to we get into a lot about lacrosse we get a lot into high school training and how to develop a solid base but without further ado here is colin masterson Colin, I want to appreciate you for coming on round two. A little technical difficulties <laughs> the first time, but I think if anything, it just gives us a better chance to to dive deeper into the conversations we were having the other day. If you want to start off, I think people probably know you or follow you in the lacrosse space or just in the private training space. But if you want to give some background on your career and where it got you to the point that you're at right now, I think that'd be a great starting point for us. Yeah, well, one, I want to you know, thank you for having me for round two again. Um, again, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm glad after the first time you're like, oh, we'll still have him back on. But no, for yeah. me, the background, uh, you know, I'm not a lacrosse guy. I didn't grow up playing lacrosse. I was a baseball guy. Um, so kind of interesting for me to get into the lacrosse community. But um, fortunately, when I worked at Villanova, um, I was working with both men's women's lacrosse. I was an assistant for the men's team, um, full-time uh head person for, for the women's team. So I was running that for about a year and a half, two years. And a local um, travel team coach, Colleen McGarity, who's kind of a juggernaut in the space, reached out and was like, hey, we're looking for like a strength coach to kind of help out our team. Would you be interested? And I was like, sure, sounds good to me, right? I can make some money on the side. I played lacrosse for a year, but I do love the sport. I think it's a beautiful sport. Um, and started running it that way. And then from there, it's kind of all grown organically, man. For the past four years, I've been working with Triple H. I've gotten a lot of people in the private sector to work with me. I'm no longer working at Villanova, so working with their team. So everything I do is kind of um, private, kind of work with all, you know that club. I'm working to expand to more clubs and a lot of camps and clinics and stuff I'm looking to do this summer. So that's kind of been my organic transition to the lacrosse community. Um, and I've loved every bit of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think lacrosse is such an interesting space because you have a wide variety of personalities. Whether or not you're working with the uh, the Villanova team, I'm sure they have guys from all around the country. But even that Philly, New York area is just so gritty, and everyone is trying so hard to be a Division One athlete because there's only so many scholarships out there on the East Coast, and everyone wants them, right? So, do you find that there's this gritty, hardworking atmosphere around lacrosse players where maybe people may think that they're a little bit more rich boy arrogant because I think it's getting more gritty. It's getting more serious in terms of training. Yeah, I think, um, man, it kind of depends on where you're at, but I think it flirts a line, you know, across the board where it's like the rich kid skill set type player. And then there's also, you know, the blue collar guy. Um, and I think that's what makes a great team, right? I think you need to have the diversity and cross pollination of, of all of it, right? You might have a kid who's super skilled, Obviously, it doesn't matter what his background, whether he comes poor or rich, doesn't really matter. But we do know that it's like an affluent community being in the lacrosse space. Um, but then there's also those blue collar kids that kind of, you know, you know, make a team, um, whether it's culture wise, whether it's locker room wise, whether it's just being the hardest in those guys getting the ground balls. 
on the field. But I think, you know, if you take a step back and you look at some of these teams, you can't be too much of one or too much of the other. They get to cross-pollinate both of them. And like you said, I think what we're seeing in uh, the spaces, they're getting guys who are more bought into the training space. Um, you're getting bigger, faster, and stronger athletes. I think that was the biggest thing I saw for a long time. It's like, you know, lacrosse is this finesse sport, but now you're seeing the collisions. You're seeing how big some of these defensemen are, um, the attackers, the midfields, even some of the faceoff guys. They're, they're bruisers out there now, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely getting bought on a lifting. I think every other fall ball, I'm seeing some faceoff guys squatting 600, 700 pounds, and it's putting that in perspective of, no, this is what a college faceoff guy does now. And then the one kid from our area around here, Bobby Van Buren, who's Ohio State's lockdown guy. I mean, he was homeschooled just so he could train. I guess he lived on a farm. He had a home gym and he was a exercise science enthusiast. And so he was just training. And and some of the stuff that he's doing now is all in correlation to to how hard he worked and progressed in, in his time in the offseason. But, you know, let's say that we get an athlete in. We understand that there's some work to be done. He may be in the younger stages of his career. Where do you like to start in terms of the athletic assessment portion of of what you do, and how do you kind of take that and work throughout it throughout the training process? Yeah, I think the first thing I'm going to do is understand how much of a time horizon I have and how long it is. Um, I was just working through a blog today. Is you're seeing so many of the parents and kids at such a young age, all they want to do is play, 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 play which is great, but eventually, right, we're seeing, you know, playing in season, playing for a club team, playing for your uh, team, your local community, and then going and playing all summer, it can lead to that phase of burnout, right? It's a word that gets thrown around, but I think it can you know, definitely right. lead to it. And, and when you transition to go play for high school and college, and it really becomes a full-time job in college, some of these kids are like, man, I've been doing lacrosse my whole life. Like I am a little bit burnout from it. So for me, I, I want to start at a young age with these kids, understand the time horizon. Can we build foundational movements for the kids? Understand that this is not going to just make you better lacrosse. It's going to make you a better and more resilient overall athlete. So we're going to hit the normal exercises that are a little bit less advanced with your push, your pull, your squat, your hinge. We're going to sprint. We're going to jump. Whether they're in third grade, whether they're in high school, whether they're in college, we're still going to follow that progression, how advanced that progression gets depends upon their training age and how long we have to kind of progress them along that uh, pendulum. Yeah. And I think you make a good point there where it just doesn't seem like there's an off season anymore. And it's not just in in the space that we're talking about, which is lacrosse. But uh, even as I was talking to some basketball strength coaches, they're having an issue with summer ball, AAU pickup, uh, spring league, winter league for your high school there's just never a time. So I feel like the more private space I'm getting into, the more small timelines that I'm getting presented with where it's, Hey, I have five weeks to get as fast as I can, as strong as I can. Let's do that maybe twice a week because I have all of this going on. And you're like, man, we have to lower these expectations. And I think that's the, Mm -hmm. that's the shitty part about being a private trainer in this moment is there just seems to be so much other stuff going on in these kids' lives. I don't know if it was different when you were growing up and and when you were playing sports, but maybe talk on that and how it's kind of changed and how you've how you viewed it. Yeah, I think, you know, with this social media era that we're in, you're seeing so much, I guess there's just so much available for these kids to see, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, of like all these super specific exercises of what kids think is going to make them, you know, better athletes overnight. 
Um, and we don't need to get into the exercise that we're seeing, but you see a bunch of, you know, shitty stuff out there. It's like, man, this kid dropped his whatever 40 yard time by, you know, 0.5 seconds. Like there's no fucking way he did that in, you know, six weeks. Right. So it's almost ridiculous. Some of these numbers that people are throwing out, but people buy into it. Like, Oh, this guy did that. So for me, it's, it's, I'm always going to err on the side of safety. I'm always going to keep the foundational principles in hand and, we can get specific as needed, but I think you're right. Kids are trying to shrink their time horizon and be like, I need to get ready for the season in six weeks where it's like, listen, brother, it's going to take, you know, years to get to the peak level we want to get to, but you need to be bought in. And, you know, something I was saying, I just wrote about was, I think the, one of the biggest issues that I see is people train all off season. And then when it gets in season, they stop training. Right, um, right. And I know we've talked about this before, but, continue to strength train and you know work on speed in season is going to be so important for athletes i think right now is you are seeing that hey i want to get strong for five weeks and fast five weeks but then stop can we keep that progression going in season right you know the athletes who's the biggest the fastest the strongest can be the most resilient athlete and it just sucks because a lot of times your sport coach is the reason why they stop either they say hey we need you for this or if you're working with a team they're going to prioritize that sport practice over the development piece. And, you know, you get later in the season and it's like, Oh, why are these kids not in shape? Why are these kids burning out? It's like, well, we could have fixed that if we had just kept training or throughout, or maybe periodized this a little bit smarter. But uh, I mean, that's the hope in the progression of sports training for us, right. Is that sport coaches start to take our work a little bit more seriously. Once there's actually some results on paper that, we can present to them. And even then maybe they won't listen, but maybe it'll be a couple more that, that will. And so I want to give you a little bit of a challenge here. You being a football guy, you being uh, all over the place with all of your athletics. What's the difference between making an ideal lacrosse athlete versus an ideal football athlete? Let's say we're looking at uh, a wide receiver versus a lacrosse defender. And how does that training differ? Yeah. Um, you know, first things first, let's look at the similarities, right? Like, you know, speed is still going to be important for both those guys, right? Power is going to be important for both those guys. So I think for, you know, 80% of it, a lot of the stuff can stay the same. We are getting to more of the specific stuff is you're going to look at some rotation for a lacrosse player that may need to be incorporated into their training where you might not see it as much in football. Um, so that, that would be really the main change, you know, weight room wise, I want them both really strong in the lower half. I want some body armor up top because they're both physical sports. We've talked about that. I think the field progression, obviously understanding the total volume, um, the work capacity that needs to be done into a sport. You know, football obviously has, what is it, a 40-second play clock, um, where lacrosse seems like it's a little bit more fast-paced at times. Um, Obviously, it can change when balls in end-to-end, but it's a little bit more of a fast-paced game, and you might need that repeat sprint ability. So, I think as you get closer to season, right, that conditioning piece changed a little bit, whether it's the repeat sprints uh, where football, you still have it, but understanding you have longer rest periods in between plays, and that's dependent upon what kind of offense you're running, defense you're running, things like that. But I would say for the most part, man, it's very general. I think I would say almost 80% is the same, and that last 20%, it's more field stuff that's going to be different, and then some slight variations in the weight room as well. Yeah, I mean, like you're talking about right here is – a football play is on average four seconds, including special teams and explosive plays. So really we're talking more two to three seconds per play with a 45 second mm-hmm. in between variation. So with football athletes, I think it's almost more beneficial to sprint them really hard over a distance of 20 to 40 yards max 
and then just rest them. Just literally like completely slow them down. Where a lacrosse athlete, you may just have more like interval training where it's a couple mm-hmm. more here, stop, a couple more here, stop, in and out. But even then, like a midfielder, you've talked to them, you've seen the game. You're getting an offensive rep for a 60-second shot clock where you may be having one sprint and then you're going off the field for about a minute or two minutes at the end. So I even there, I think the conditioning piece gets misunderstood for lacrosse. It's not yeah 300 yard gassers. Football it can't be 300 yard gassers or right. I'm sure you've gone through the gauntlet in terms of football conditioning, playing college football. I don't know if really? Weiner was making you guys throw up in trash cans or what, but <laughs> a lot of people do, right? Um, yeah. And what about what about background in sport? Because you've played a lot of sports. I I probably quit my other sports a little too quickly, just wanting to develop my lacrosse skills. But what background in sports do you think makes the biggest difference in athletic development? I'm going to jump back real quick to the last question. Then I'm going to hop into that one real quick. But the last piece that I would add is, um, and I think I see this a little bit across the board is teams don't practice hard enough. Right. So like you want to talk about that conditioning piece or exposing kids to like, Oh man, kids look tired. It's like, what if we, as the season progressed, shorten our practice time but kept the intensity high could you imagine that everyone knows a football practice where hey first team get three or four plays walk off second team come in right takes forever where if you practice at a fast clip and with the intensity super high but you only stayed out there for an hour 15 you know you could you know it'd be amazing how much you get done same thing happen in the weight room right we may be training for 45 minutes to an hour in the beginning of the year but by the end of the year our volume is so low but our intensity is so high that we're able to kind of shrink down that um, training session, but keep the intensity super high to still get in, you know, check all the boxes we want to check. So that was just a, a, a final piece I wanted to add there. But, um, you know, the, the training or the the sports piece and exposure to sport, I mean, for myself, I played sports, you know, my entire life, even through college, like we were always playing pickup basketball. Um, right. And I just felt, you know, there's so many different variables in sport that you're exposed to by playing multiple sports. I, like I said, I was a baseball guy. So being able to catch a high pop to me was routine, but for some guys who are, you know, a defensive back, right. Trying to catch the ball over the shoulder seemed foreign to them because they never played another sport. Um, so it was always interesting for me. And I always laughed. I know we talked about this last time, but it was the wide receivers who could catch everything, but it's like, all right, throw the ball back to the corner and they couldn't throw. I, I was always amazed by that. Like how can you oh, not that's, throw that's the ball? The but it's world, hysterical, yeah. right? They're such good athletes, but they can't throw. And there's so many crossover similarities. Like I think basketball is one of the best sports any athlete can play for the hand-eye coordination, the vision, especially the angles that are comparable to the cross. And you're seeing now, you know, I, I watched some of the Jamie Monroe stuff and everyone's like, what he's doing is very innovative. I'm not taking any away from, I think it is, but he's running the triangle offense. He's yeah. been around for years, right? That's he's running the triangle offense and they're running motion. It's been a basketball concept that's been back since when Jordan was playing the Lakers ran the triangle offense. Like that's what they're running. And it's very hard to stop. But if you understand basketball, you understand the angles, there's just more players on the field. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because a lot of things seem obvious and like, sure, you can work on it in your sport. But, you know, when I look at our football team, a bunch of our DNs and our D tackles that are extremely successful wrestled in high school. So the hand fighting stuff, they're already advanced at. So you can take that piece out of practice where we don't have to devote 30, 45 minutes working on hand fighting when they're already good at it. A lot of the lacrosse players that I train, 
the ones that are really good at dodging are really good when we play pickup basketball. They're just fluid and they move extremely well. And so I think that's the piece where, yeah, sure, you can work on these things on your own, but I think that skill transition is just a little different when you learn it from another sport. Like being a wide receiver in football could help you be a dodger in lacrosse. Being a cornerback or linebacker could help you being a defender in lacrosse. Totally. And then goalies, goalies are goalies, man. You're going to have to just suck it up and play specialist hockey. Specialist specialist. Yeah, they're specialist. But yeah, to your point, I found this. I didn't realize this until the other year. But my freshman year in college, we had a fantastic coach, super knowledgeable, like top three American-born attackman of all time. He's he's a dog. But he installed an offense one year that was Illinois basketball's offense. And just thinking back on it, I had looked at the stats, and I was like, Illinois was like one of the least scoring teams in the country. Why the hell are we running Illinois' offense? I get their defense because their defense is nuts, but – they're never known as a as a high scoring offense, so it just made me wonder, like, what was he thinking? Uh, yeah, it didn't really work all that well, but I'm sure he had, he had his reasons for doing it. It, it made sense in, in theory, but didn't didn't execute. And so we talked about we've been talking about sports coaches a little bit and some different mistakes they can make. Um, I think a lot of the mistakes that we'll see in in both categories come from parents as well, and even some sports coaches that maybe aren't in the know. But what's the most common mistake you see by by sport coaches in the high school area in terms of killing athletic development for for their kids? I think it's just the the lack of you know basic skills, right? Like I, I think there's teams right now, um, and I'm going to give you know, props to Colleen, but every time we start practice at Triple H, it's the kids are always just catching and throwing, catching and throwing, catching and throwing. It's the basic skills that you see that are boring, that no one wants to do, but working their offhand, right? Getting touches, blah, blah, blah. It's not kids, you know, running up, doing jump shots, this kind of thing. It's the same thing we see basketball players. Like every kid grabs a ball, they're not hitting layups or hitting free throws. They're hitting three-pointers, right? That's every kid wants to do. They want to do the hot topic right now. Everyone's like, oh, Steph Curry ruined the NBA. Because all he does is shoot threes. Like, yeah, but watch his basketball routine, right? He starts dribbling and he shoots from underneath the basket and he works his way back, works his way back. It's like, I think the fundamentals have gotten lost. And if you can stick to the fundamentals for athletic development, whether it's those basic skills or introducing basic concepts of, you know, offense and defense, that can go a long way. It's the same thing as weight room, right? Everyone wants to get super special and show everything that they know. It's like, well, if we don't have the foundation in store, we can't get to that special stuff that you guys want to work on. So I think it's just the base skills um, would be the number one thing. But for parent wise, the it's not like an opposite, but the, for parent wise, I think it's just sheer volume and not understanding that kids need an off day. So that quick transition from being in season to going to their shooting coach, their strength trainer, their team travel practice to go into a showcase on the weekend to play in a tournament that weekend where they have, three to six games a weekend and then turning around and <laughs> doing it again. And they're like, oh, my daughter, you know, she got hurt. She's exhausted. I'm like, yeah, you would be too. Right. Like this yeah. is a social event for you guys, but like your kids are running rampant. Um, they gotta be exhausted. Um, so I'm trying to be innovative this year. I'm actually trying to host recovery tents at a lot of these um, camps and clinics this summer just to try and one educate, but to also offer some like, you know, ability to roll your feet out, have foam rollers, work on hydration, some proper nutrition things that can kind of help these kids recover at a little bit of a faster clip. Um, and I think just having formal education could help them um, overall. 
and a lot of the discussions I'm having with parents now, they almost seem boastful about how busy their kid is as if that's oh, a yeah. point of pride where they're coming into me saying, okay, we need to work on her skills. She's, she's not there yet, but you know, she works out with a strength trainer two times a week. She works out with a private trainer this amount of time. She works with her coach three times. It's like, Oh my God, maybe just let her calm down for a second. And yeah. uh, that ability of super compensation, I don't think it's been studied in the skill space, but I think when your body has a chance to recover, reset, and then catch up, every skill gets heightened to a certain extent, right? Mentally, you may be bogged down for studying, but the second you get a good night's sleep in, all that information starts to sink in a little bit more. So I think that's how skills training operates in the same sense of, okay, if we're just pounding, 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 you're never going to retain anything. But the second we take a step back, let them chill out for a second, that's when all those gains are made. And so I wanted to talk to you about your difference between your your weight and your speed program for the middle schoolers versus maybe those college people. And you talked about everything stays basic for the most part. So when do we start to see progression? When do we start to see a little bit of difference or variability in the programs and, and weights and speed for middle schoolers and college athletes? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Um, like I said, I do keep a lot of the stuff, you know, foundational and fundamental because I don't think you can ever get enough of that stuff. Um, but I would say, you know, right around that middle school time frame is where you're starting to get kids who are taking it a little bit more serious um, and they're starting to understand things a little better. So that's where I can, you know, I'm, I'm a big um, fan of educating the athletes on what we're doing. So it's not like, hey, we're just going to run. It's like, no, why are we running, right? If it's a max velocity, we need to be running max velocity. Now for a middle schooler, they might not fully understand it, but if I can expose them to it by the time they get to later in middle school and high school, now they're understanding, you know, why we're doing it, right? They're understanding the type of system running, whether it's a high-low system, like we're running A cells one day and then max velocity the other day. Those are two types of sprinting that we're doing and the general concepts between them. Now it may be a little bit over their head, but it's just giving that exposure. Um, and then obviously as you work to high school and, and college, you, you can get a little bit more specific what you're doing. Um, you can maybe throw some more, you know, rabbit chaser games into it, something like that. But even for the young kids, I think for them, I just try to keep it fun. Like those are the kids where it's, Hey, we're sprinting, but it's gotta be a relay race because everyone wants to win. That's going to make them run fast. Yeah. Right. Can you, can you gamify it somehow, um, to make the kids have a little bit of fun for me? That's the best thing you can do with the youth kids, right? We're exposing them to all this different variation of sprinting, jumping, um, a little bit of body weight strength training, but it's fun. And it buys them in. And then as you work your way up, can you start to explain, educate a little bit more? And they get a little bit more specific based on needs, what the kids, you know, one need. Because it is hard. I mean, the team setting because everyone needs a little bit, you know, something different. But as you get into more personal setting of like the one-on-one, it's like, what are we looking for? Yes, you may have a really good aerobics, but you need to get faster. Let's work on just general speed, right? What are we going to do that? We'll do two days a week of speed training. We'll do our normal plyos, all sorts of stuff. And, you know, we can go down a rabbit hole and stuff, but that's more of like a high level response for me. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think even when we talk about being competitive in middle schoolers, I think a lot of the times too, a bunch of the college kids would benefit from gamifying speed and agility. It can't all be stress. It can't all be there. And then the one thing that we've seen recently that I'm hoping has gotten a lot of attention is Christian McCaffrey's training in the off season, mm -hmm. because we assume that, you know, I don't know if I want to say the best running back in the world. I'm not going to throw any hot takes out there, but certainly a high level running back, a high level athlete is doing crazy stuff. God, I can't even imagine what he's doing. Oh, you mean he's just doing 
skips, bounds, straight leg bounds, and sprinting at a high rate. No, it seems pretty basic to me. It's just the intent at which he's doing it and the percentage and and what gets accounted for in terms of load, I'm sure, is the most advanced piece about it all. So, yeah, to your point, it's it's going to stay relatively the same. It's just whether or not the athletes are going to buy into it or not. And so you just got to let them buy in early. And the last thing – go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. What's interesting about Chris McCaffrey, too, and, like, I agree with everything you said, it's training, right? It's It's awesome, right? What he does is obviously high level because, you know, he's a superior athlete. But when he was in Carolina, you know, just a touch and like not to defend the strength coach, but it's like that guy was getting so many carries and touches. Like his volume was so high. Like he was probably getting 25 carries a game plus an extra 10 out of the backfield, right? For yeah, three I mean, to four years in a row. I mean, and was like, oh, he's been injured a handful of times. Like, well, no shit. His volume was through the roof. Like he was getting beat up. Now he comes to San Fran, right? He's on a better team. That's able to protect him a little more. He can get spelled sometimes. They have more weapons. Like, he was healthy the whole year. So I don't think his training really changed a ton. It's just his volume in season was probably down a little bit, which was kind of, I mean, it was good for him, right? It protected him a little bit. Yeah. And I've also heard, I don't know if it's a, it's a rumor or not, but when he went to Stanford, his childhood strength coach, obviously his dad was in the NFL, but they mandated that he works out with their strength coach, not Stanford's strength coach. And so he's been working out with, the same guy for a long time and he just now recently switched so mm-hmm. i'm not sure if that has anything to do with the fact that he's he's held up a little bit more this season but that was a very interesting piece that i found out is that his his dad was like enforcing their workouts not stanford's workouts I'm sure the strength coach there loved that um <laughs> yeah so, i mean the last thing we'll change or the last thing we'll talk about is uh you've been in the game for for a good bit college and private and i think that changes a lot of people's opinions about training. What are the things that when you started off, you were sold on versus what you're doing now, what you're focusing on now um, that you weren't thinking about? Yeah. For me, when I first started um, really not knowing anything and, you know, reading magazines and watching videos is I always thought more was more right to get the big muscles and to get shredded and look like the guys you see on the front of magazines and these Olympic level sprinters, like, you always had me doing more. And I still fight that battle sometimes with my own personal training, but, uh, you know, working with athletes now I understand, you know, stress, right? Like how much stress is on these kids, not just from a training standpoint, but from a playing standpoint to a social aspect of their life to school and all these different things that they can only handle so much stress. Um, so I, we always use the term Villanova, like we want to stimulate and not annihilate. So just, you know, nice. that minimal effective dose, right? That that word he throws like, you know, what is the minimal effective dose? It's hard to say for everybody. If you can kind of just touch strength. So we always, like I said, try to keep the intensities very high and the volume low in season. But we can touch strength and continue to get stronger in season. For me, that's a huge deal. Um, you know, there's so many different ways you can program, whether it's linear, undulating, um, w- whatever it is you want to follow. But as long as you're progressing, continue to get stronger throughout you know, all times of the year. I think that's the most important thing we're seeing now where in the past I'd be like, Oh, like should a kid train in season? I don't know. Or I'd be given, you know, German volume training in season. I was just getting started because I was trying to thrash and improve that I knew everything, but so much has changed for me and, and I still don't know it all. Right. I'm still learning from a bunch of people, um, some really good follows on Instagram and, you know, reading books and have some mentors I lean into is like, it really is a game of trial and error. Um, one solution isn't the solution for everybody. So you kind of got to play with it a little bit. Um, 
And that's kind of what I'm learning as I continue to work uh, in this field. Yeah, I think everyone has prescribed some stupid workout from from now and, and ever. I think one of the funniest ones that I've seen is I looked up one day and not not me, but uh, someone I worked with was writing 10 by 10 front squats. I was like, you're hitting German volume front squats on a Friday. That's crazy. Uh, it was really funny, but I definitely think that the kids were feeling it for about a week after. Um, but totally. dude, I, I, yeah, thank you again for, for coming on round. Two. I got a story. Hold on. I'm going to give a story and I'm going to say this because this is my really, really good friend, Andrew. He's at Elon right now. He's done an unbelievable job. Wait, wait, Andrew, uh, the baseball guy. Denim, yeah, really good shout friend out, of mine. Yeah, shout out Andrew. We're unbelievable. We're, we're, I'll go over there and see him. Yeah, unbelievable guy. Um, but he was with us at Villanova, and I mean, he came from Eastern baseball guy. Ended up getting a GA at Millersville, and was so nervous when he got the GA. Went to write the programming. We're like, all right, go write the programming before you go. We'll look it over, and uh, we look at him. day one, day one of sprinting. After he had done an internship with us for. I think nine or maybe it was a semester. So it was probably 16 weeks, something like that. The first thing he had was, <laughs> I think it was like five sets of downhill sprints. And we were laughing in tears. I'm like, oh brother, you're doing overspeed training day one. But it's funny because we said the barrier to entry to get jobs anymore is just like, hey, if you know somebody, you probably get a job. And like I said, you have to fail in order to succeed. Like he didn't end up going through that program. We obviously changed some stuff, but I know he'll be, he'll laugh at this when he hears it, but it was super funny. It's like, Man, we taught you so much, but he tried to be. He wanted to come in and show he knows so much. And it's like, bro, it's the basics that win. Um, and and I'm sure people have stories about me, right? There's some programs I've written that are probably flown out there. People are like, what is this? But it was very very funny. But I mean, he's come such a long way. His team's doing unbelievable right now, and you know, yeah. credit to him and and the uh, the team at Elon and what they're doing. So um, it is funny to see the progression. And, and him and I chat all the time. It's like, man, he's grown up so much in five years. Like, can only imagine what the next five years looks like. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I think they beat Wake Forest two out of one series, and then they beat Kentucky on a Friday. They just beat so they Campbell. Ton- they, they just said- beat Campbell, which is a huge win. Um, yeah. Campbell's crazy. I know that our baseball coach is always like, "Hey, I know Campbell lifts six days a week. Can we lift six days a week?" And I was like, "Have you seen their facilities? Because they have three different um, batting cages around campus. Then they also have a." mobile gym right so every time that they drive let's say they're going to go to gardner webb or somewhere in state or out of state like if they play coastal they're going to bring a gym to that away game uh so they can still lift so um no we can't do that because we don't have the facilities for that <laughs> but i'm sure it's the downhill sprints of why they're killing it but i appreciate you hopping on <laughs> too uh it's been a, it's been a good time of course always sharing a lot of information if you wanted to plug yourself where can people find you if there's any way that they can sign up for your for your camps or clinics as well, let them know about that. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me on for sure. Um, I'm most active on Instagram um, at cm1 uh, underscore performance. I have pretty much all my links in there. And then my, my website is cm1performance.com. I have a bunch of uh, training for athletes and professionals as well. So if anyone wants to sign up for some stuff, there'll be some more stuff coming out um, in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for for coming on and I'm sure everyone's going to check you out and and make sure that they can uh, get up to Philly and train with you.